0: Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 through 7. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crop. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. It's um, good to be with you uh, this morning. Uh, If you don't have a Bible and you need one, uh, Caleb and Christina are in the back and they have some, they can get one one of those uh, to you. Uh, My name is Nathan, if we haven't met yet, and this past week, uh, my wife and I celebrated six months here in Vermont serving at New King, Uh, and it's really providential that the Lord uh, has me preaching today so that there's video evidence to our Southern family and friends that we made it, that we're alive. In the last 48 hours, we've gotten more texts from the South than I have in six months of living here, so hey, Mom, I'm warm. Um, We made it, so... Uh, we're going to be in 2 Timothy uh, today, starting in uh, chapter 2, verse 2. And I think it's important for us to remember uh, where we are in 2 Timothy, what's happened uh, up until this point. So last week, if you were here or you listened, uh, Eric took us through the end of chapter 1 into the very first verse of chapter 2. So Paul has exhorted Timothy... In one thirteen, to hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me and the faith and love uh, that are in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 14, he says, guard the good deposit, that's the gospel, through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And then last week, Eric talked uh, in the next section uh, where he reminds Timothy, where Paul reminds Timothy about uh, Phygelus and Hermogenes who deserted him in Asia. And Eric reminded us that that was so impactful to Paul uh, that he describes it as all those in the province of Asia deserted me. And then, in contrast, uh, Paul reminds Timothy about Onesiphorus, who searched for Paul uh, very diligently in Rome, even to his own peril, in order to minister to him. And then Paul urges Timothy to be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. It's only the grace of Christ that lifts our head and renews us uh, when serving leaves us down and out. It's only the grace of Christ that brings us unspeakable joy in the worst circumstances like Paul in prison. And then just five verses after Paul reminds Timothy about these deserters, he commands him in verse 2 of chapter 2, he says, "'What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses,' Commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So, what is it that Timothy has heard from Paul in the presence of many witnesses? It's the message of the gospel. So what Paul says in 114 is the good deposit. So in Acts 9, Paul is then known as Saul, is walking down the road to Damascus. He's on a mission to go murder some Christians when suddenly the glory of the Lord shines around Paul and Jesus speaks to him and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And God had chosen Saul, Paul, who was then Saul, uh, to proclaim the name of Jesus, Acts 9 says, to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. And then in, just in chapter, or verse 20 of chapter 9, It says, immediately, Saul began proclaiming in the synagogues uh, that Jesus is the Son of God. And then by the middle of chapter 9, we see uh, Paul defending Jesus among the Hellenistic Jews, and as he's doing that, they gather together to form a plan to kill him. And so it's evidence throughout the book of Acts uh, throughout all 13 letters that uh, Paul has written for the New Testament, that his singular focus was proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. And that in doing so, his life would be one that was centered around suffering. And so here in 2 Timothy, uh, Paul's already spoken about the gospel message. Look at Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy 1.9. He says, He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Paul's message has been clear and it's been broad. It's not a private message that he gave to Timothy It's the message of the gospel that he openly preached from town to town and person in person from Acts chapter 9 all the way through the end of the book. It's the good deposit that Jesus himself gave to Paul on that day on the road to Damascus. It's the message that Paul commands Timothy to commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In other words, he's telling Timothy you have to pass on the gospel. In order to guard the deposit, you have to give it away. And so I think that there's a specific command in this uh, section to Timothy, but I think there's a much broader command for all of us. Paul is encouraging Timothy to raise up new pastors. That's important for the church there in Ephesus. It's important for our church here in New King. You see us doing that from time uh, to time. But I don't think it's simply a command to raise up new pastors, but I think it's more broadly about disciples. And so that's what we're going to focus on today. That the gospel is passed on from generation through generation through discipleship. Uh, so today I want us to look at this passage and think about uh, what our role as disciples of Christ is. So if you've listened to me preach. You know I like to lay out a road map. I want you to know exactly where I'm going so you can pay attention. That's how I think and process, so uh, that's how I'm going to force you to think and process today. So I have three points. So the first is going to be the mission of a disciple is discipleship. The second is that the mark of a disciple is suffering. The third, the heart of a disciple is faithfulness, and we'll look at faithfulness to God faithfulness to the word, and faithfulness to the promise. All right, so let's jump in. So number one, the mission of a disciple is discipleship. It's like I said, for Timothy, the call in his life as a pastor was to raise up pastors, but for all of us who are believers in the Lord Jesus, the calling on our life, the command from Jesus, is to disciple disciples. This is the command that our Lord gave us just, after, or just prior to his ascension to heaven after the resurrection. He says in Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus came near to them and said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you and remember I am with you always to the end of the age. Paul wasn't telling Timothy something new. Paul isn't telling us something new. To be a disciple is to be a discipler. Paul got it. He was a discipler. We know that he thought of Timothy as his dear son. He talks about that in 1st and 2 Timothy. He says the same thing of Titus in the next book. He says uh, he calls Titus his true son in the common faith. And there are others in Acts, 4, in Acts 14. Uh, Paul and Barnabas, uh, they are making disciples in Derbe. They leave that town, and then they decide to return to Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, all to strengthen the disciples they had made in those towns. And we could go on. If we walk through the book of Acts, we would see more and more disciples that Paul made. If you've read the letters uh, that Paul has written in the New Testament, there are 13 of them. You know that they're full of names. Many of those people are disciples of Paul. But Paul was a disciple not just because he got it, but because he was enlisted as a soldier of Christ to do so. Think back to Acts 9. So after Paul sees Jesus, he's sent to a house, and then Ananias is told by God to go to Saul uh, because God has chosen Saul to bring the message of the gospel to the world. And Ananias is to tell Saul that message uh, and that he will suffer in doing that. And so Christ himself gave the gospel to Paul. And Paul passes it on to many. And in, here in First and 2 Timothy, we see specifically passes it on to Timothy himself, And the expectation is that Timothy would pass the message of the gospel on to others, and those others would pass it on to others. And each of us in this room, if you were to trace your gospel ancestry back, barring some miracle in the line, you would trace your gospel ancestry back to the earliest followers of Jesus. Because that's how God has ordained the message to be passed through from generation to generation, by mouth, from person to person. And believers, as we look at this passage, I want you to understand that you have been enlisted as a soldier of Christ. Your mission is to go and to make disciples. Indeed, you're a believer because others have answered the call to go and make disciples. They have, like Paul commanded Timothy, guarded the good deposit by giving it to you. And so what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses commit to faithful men. We guard the good deposit of the gospel in our lives by giving it away to others. <clears throat> Look at verse 3. It says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. To be a disciple is to be a soldier, or to be a soldier is to share in suffering. So point number two, the mark of a disciple is suffering. So Paul has told Timothy already here in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, he says, uh, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, this pri- of me, his prisoner. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. Last week, we looked at six, verse 16. He says um, that Onesiphorus wasn't ashamed of my chains, a physical sign of Paul's suffering. In 2, 9, we'll look at that next week, he says, for which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal. And throughout the book of Second Timothy, we'll see more and more where Paul talks about his suffering. Suffering isn't new to Paul. You see that throughout the book of Acts. But he gives us this intimate look in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, starting in verse 24. He says, five times I received the 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a day, a night, and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, and dangers from among false brothers toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and without closing. Not to mention other things, there's the daily pressure on me, my concern for all the churches. Paul is intimately familiar with suffering. At his conversion, the Lord promised that his life would be one of suffering, and indeed, we see here at the end of his life that it was. And so why does Paul put an emphasis on suffering? What does Paul want Timothy to learn in describing suffering as a mark of a disciple? I think we can see several things. First, Paul is connecting his suffering and Timothy's and ours with the suffering of Jesus. So I'm not going to jump into this too much because we're going to get into it next week. Uh, But in chapter 2, in verses 8 through through 13, we see that Paul and Timothy's suffering and ours— is closely tied to Jesus. Jesus' ministry was characterized by suffering. Think about it. His own family and friends thought he was a fool. Uh, From the earliest days of his public ministry, people tried to figure out how to kill him. When he was arrested, his closest friends deserted him. He was wrongfully charged, and he was hung on a tree. On the night that Jesus was betrayed and arrested, he met with his disciples, and John records that event in the upper room as they celebrated the Passover. And Jesus taught them. It was the last opportunity he got before he was crucified uh, to teach them. So it talks about commands to love. He talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit, who he calls the Comforter. But he also promises them that they will experience persecution. So look at John chapter 15, starting in verse 18. It says, if the world hates you, "'Understand that it hated me before it hated you. "'If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. "'However, because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you, "'out of it, the world hates you. "'Remember the word I spoke to you. "'A servant is not greater than his master. "'If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. "'If they kept my word, they will also keep yours.' But they will do these things to you on account of my name, because they don't know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now they have no excuse for their sin. The one who hates me also hates my father. If they had not done the works among them that no one else has done, they would not have sin. Now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But this happens so that the statement written in their law might be fulfilled. They hated me. For no reason. Jesus promised that to be a disciple was to wear the mark of suffering. We see this in every single apostle. Church history teaches us that every apostle of Jesus died because of their faith. We see in 2 Timothy, in particular, the suffering of Paul, and we feel the weight of the coming suffering of Timothy. Some of you in this room are experiencing the mark of suffering as a believer in Jesus. You may work in a hostile environment. Your family may think you're foolish. You know all too well that being a disciple of Jesus is to wear the mark of suffering. Second, suffering makes us aware of the presence of God. In 2 Timothy four sixteen and 17, Paul tells Timothy, At my first offense, no one stood by me, but everyone deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that I might fully preach the word and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. It's evident from Paul's letters to Timothy that Timothy lacks courage. We've talked about that a lot in First Timothy. We've mentioned it here in Second Timothy. He knows suffering is coming and it's an overwhelming feeling to him. So Paul encourages him in chapter 4, that in his suffering, the Lord will stand with him and strengthen him. Paul has experienced it, and he's telling Timothy, when it seems like everyone has abandoned you, when you don't feel like you can endure suffering, the lifter of your head will be right there. Paul is saying to Timothy, yes, suffering will come, but God is with you, Timothy. He's telling you that God is with you. Lastly, suffering reminds us that Jesus has overcome the world. Suffering is not the end. As Jesus warned his disciples that suffering was coming, he also promised them that suffering wasn't the end. And John sixteen thirty three says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world, but take heart. I have overcome the world. At the end of 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 18, Paul says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil work and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Does anybody in this room know how Paul was rescued from every evil work and brought into the eternal kingdom of God? His head was chopped off. That's how the Lord rescued Paul safely from the earth and brought him into the kingdom of God. When we suffer, the, the world will tell us there is no hope. But believer, suffering is not the end because Jesus has overcome the world. All right, number three. The heart of a disciple is faithfulness. In verse 2, Paul, Paul tells Timothy, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful." men. The heart of a disciple is faithfulness. Now, we've already touched on this, but uh, in Timothy's case, I do think Paul's telling him to raise up pastors, which would obviously be men. That's why it's written the way that it is. But there's room in the Greek for this uh, to be a command to and for everyone, so it's men and women, and so that would look like discipleship, commit and raise up disciples. And so a faithful disciple is three things. He's faithful to God, he's faithful to the word, and he's faithful to the promise. And we're going to see that in uh, these illustrations of a a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. When we were wrestling in our pastor's meeting about who should preach this passage, it was obvious that only one guy embodied all of those things, so here I am for you. (laughs) So I'm glad y'all thought that was funny. Um, (laughs) All right. Uh, faithfulness to God. Look at verse 4. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. Think with me just for a minute about being a soldier. Now, some of you are soldiers, so this is a little intimidating to pontificate about, but just go with me. <laughs> Thanks, Caleb. When a soldier is at war or he's on a mission, he is totally devoted to that mission. And more specifically, to the commands of his commanding officer. The soldier can't get entangled with civilian life. If he does, the mission is ruined, or much worse, the mission becomes deadly. And the same is true for the life of a faithful disciple. The faithful disciple's life must be centered on pleasing our commanding officer, the Lord Jesus Christ. So how is that done? How do we please God? We please God by pursuing holiness. Look at verse 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 and 2. Paul says, Additionally then, brothers and sisters, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received instruction from us on how you should live and please God as you are doing, do this even more. For you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. We pursue holiness by living out the commands of God. Look at Ephesians 5, verse 6, starting in verse 6. "'Let no one deceive you with empty arguments, "'for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient "'because of these things. "'Therefore, do not become their partners. "'For you were once darkness, "'but now you are in the light of the Lord. "'Live as children of light.'" For the fruit of light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to mention what is done to them in secret. Jump down to verse 15. Pay careful attention then to how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. To please God, to be faithful to God, is to live as children of light. Children of light expose their fruits, the fruits of goodness and righteousness and truth. They don't even participate in the fruitless works of darkness. Brothers and sisters, I ask you this morning, are you participating in the fruitless works of darkness? What are the sins that are causing you to be distracted from your mission as a soldier of Christ? Are you consumed with greed? Are you jealous of what your neighbor has, but you don't? Are you addicted to some sort of substance? Are you uh, craving and consuming sexual satisfaction outside of a marriage? Are you a gossip? Are you a liar? Are you a racist? Are you overcome with anger? Paul says to bring those out and expose them in the light. He says to flee from them. Pay careful attention to what he says in verse 18. He says, And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. When we remove sin from our life, we have to replace it. So if you're a liar and you stop lying, you suddenly become a truth teller. You don't just stop lying, you need to be filled by the Spirit. Don't just remove sin, but be filled by the Spirit. Speak to one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs. Fill each other up by the Spirit with the Word of God and live as children of light. The soldier doesn't get entangled in civilian affairs, and the disciple doesn't get cozy with darkness. Darkness. Instead, please your commanding officer, the Lord Jesus Christ, by living as children of light who pursue holiness. So the disciple is faithful to God, but he's also faithful to the word. Look at chapter 2, verse (coughs) 5. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he's not crowned unless he uh, competes according to the rules. So it only takes like half a look at me to determine I am no athlete. But I am a fairly big sports fan, born and raised in Alabama. College football runs deep in my blood. Uh, but I'm a sports fan of other things as well. I maintain that some of the like, best stretch of sports is coming. March Madness, the Masters, praise the Lord, the Kentucky Derby, all of these things are coming. But I am my best sports fan self Every two years, when either the Summer Olympics or the Winter Olympics are here. I love the Olympics. For like 16 days, I am completely worthless for everything else, because I am just glued to the TV. Uh, About sports, I know nothing about. You know, like cross-country skiing with a gun strapped to your back? Sign me up. I'm watching every single minute of it. What in the world? (laughs) (coughs) But nothing. Nothing compares to my excitement Uh, as as a race in the pool does. It's the absolutely best thing to watch. And so in the late 90s, uh, I don't know what they're called, the International Swimming Committee, uh, changed the rules to a no warning false start. So that means that if you're on the block and you're about to jump in the pool, if you jump too soon, then you're automatically disqualified. There's no second chance. You got to get out of the pool. You can't race. You certainly can't win. And so I've watched this a few times. It's absolutely like the saddest thing to watch. You have these athletes who train their entire life for this one moment. Their entire country is behind their back, rooting them on, and they break the rules, and they can't compete. It's over. You certainly can't win. There's no medal for disqualifying yourself because you've broken the rules. Now, thankfully, we serve a gracious God who doesn't have a no-warning-false start. He's not even a three-strikes-and-you're-out God. But he is a God that calls his people to follow his law and to love his word. Think about our memory verse for January and February and what will be March. Psalm 1, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the seat of scoffers, uh, nor sits in the... Oh, I messed it up. Wow, I was trying to do it so good, and then I messed it up. <laughs> Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day. And night, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields his fruit in its season, and his leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. How do you please God? You delight in the law of the Lord. You read and you study the Bible. You cherish it. You live out what you read and what you learn, and in doing so, your life will be planted like a tree by streams of living water. 2 Timothy 3 is one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. In it, Paul exhorts Timothy to cling to the scriptures. He says in verse 16 and 17, All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The faithful disciple is faithful to the word of God because faithfulness to the word will produce a heart that is faithful to God. It's a heart that's holy and pleasing to the Lord. Brothers and sisters, are you in the word? Are you prioritizing your time with the Lord every single day? Some of you aren't, and it's much more obvious than you think it is. Remember what Eric said last week as he preached the end of chapter one that serving can bring joy, but it can leave us exhausted. Paul told Timothy in chapter 2, verse 1, to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. How is he, how are we supposed to do that? By living in the Word. You've got to be in the Word. It affects every aspect of your daily life. Let me just be vulnerable for just a minute. As many of you know, my dad passed away back in November, uh, and in this season of grief, the Lord has been so kind and so gracious. But I just want to be honest with you. There are days when I really struggle to be in the Word, to be close to God. Now, I'm not mad at God. Deep down in my soul, the prevailing thought of my dad's death is relief because of the agony he was in. But there are just They're just days when I find it difficult to open the Bible and draw near to God. And let me tell you how that goes. Not well. Those are the days that I am most distracted by civilian affairs. Those are the days that my sinful flesh feels cozier in the darkness than it does in the light. Those are the days when temptation is sweetest and easiest to run towards. Those are the days when I am certainly not looking for opportunities to share the gospel. Those are the days that I am certainly not looking for opportunities to love Amanda. Brothers and sisters, don't do that. Be an athlete who competes by the rules. Delight in the law of the Lord. Make it a priority to open the word and rejoice as it carves your heart into the image of Christ. Commit with me. Just open your Bible and to sit in it. Tim Keller in his book, Prayer, talks about duty to delight. When we sit with the Lord and we read his word, he will take our duty and he will turn it into delight. Finally, the third point is that a faithful disciple is faithful to the promise. Look at verse 6. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to get a share of the crops, a faithful disciple who works hard at discipling, who endures suffering, who is faithful to God and to His Word, will get his share of the promise of the gospel, which is eternal life, free from suffering and sin, in the presence of God. Look at Romans eight, 8 uh, Romans eight, starting in verse eighteen. If you have it, I want you to turn there because I'm going to read a lot of it. <coughs> It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself. Will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan with ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now, in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? Now, if we hope for what we don't see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, because we do not know what to pray for, as we should. But the, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because he intercedes for the saints According to the will of God. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those who foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more, has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? can kind of affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it's written because of you we are being put to death all day long we are counted as sheep to be slaughtered no in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor ruler, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. Brothers and sisters, are you a faithful disciple? Are you discipling others? Are you pursuing holiness and faithfulness to God? Are you faithful day in and day out to the Word? Are you living your Christian life like a hardworking farmer who is exhausted from plowing, who's burnt from the sun, who has put all your time and energy into serving the Lord? Do you feel the burden of lost family members or coworkers or neighbors? Have you used up every word you can think of to talk about the gospel? Have you given your life to the mission of the church, only to be hurt and run off by the sins of others? Has all your energy gone into taking care of a sick family member? Are you holding on with all your might just to make it until you get just some rest? Are you exhausted from being a laughingstock to your family and friends because you suddenly find yourself in love with Jesus? The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. A day is coming when you, O farmer, will get your share of the crops. Hold on a little longer. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Harvest is coming. As we close, look at verse 7. It says, Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. It's easy for us to come in here every Sunday morning, hear some good truths, and walk out and never consider them. It's easy for us to come in here and think that message was, for somebody else, it doesn't apply to me. Paul is telling Timothy here not to flippantly read his words, but to think about them and allow the Lord to work in his heart and to provide understanding. This should be your prayer every single week that you walk in those doors. It should be your prayer every morning you open your Bible and sit in the Word. It should be your prayer every night you come together with your community group. God, engage my mind and allow me to think deeply about these truths. And Lord, through your Holy Spirit, give me understanding. This afternoon, this week, consider what I say for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. After I pray, if you need to pray with someone or talk to someone. There'll be people in the back. But pray with me now. Father, we believe. We have seen it in your word. That you have commanded us to live a life of discipling disciples. Disciples. God, we know that you have called us to share the gospel with others because we ourselves have had the gospel shared with us. Father, we trust and believe that in your divine sovereignty and providence that you have ordained us as messengers of the gospel, and we pray that we would be that. Father, we pray that we would be faithful disciples, that we would live our lives devoted to pleasing you. God, give us the boldness and the courage to run from the darkness, to be children of light. Put psalms and hymns and spiritual songs in our mouth to share with our brothers and sisters. God, give us hearts that crave the word that delight in your law. God, help us to hold on, to remember that a day is coming when our sufferings will all fade away and we will be with you forever. Father, we thank you for that day. We thank you that through the blood of Jesus, our relationship has been restored to you and that we trust that we will be with you again. It's in the strong name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.